This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. It's expected to be about that, as if their identity is a plot line. Yeah. Right. Um, where, you know, and then you're like, I'm not trashing any of those. Those are like, they tend to be very beautifully written, really important work that gets us thinking about things. Mm-hmm. But like, the problem with that is just like, but then that's the only side that people see of us is our mm-hmm. trauma and our pain. And they expect us yeah. to bleed on the page for them every single yeah. time. Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Interchangeable White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. For today's essential question, how has the commitment to authenticity and intersectionality by authors of color changed the writing landscape? We are so excited to start this new series um, with some amazing authors coming down the road. And so our first guest um, in this series is author Mia Manansala, author of Arsenic and Adobo. And I think many of our listeners actually are aware of this book and have it in their Goodreads list if they haven't read it yet. Uh, This is part of Tita Rosie's Kitchen Mystery Series. Uh, Mia is a writer and a certified book coach from Chicago who loves books, baking, and badass women. She uses humor and murder to explore aspects of the Filipino diaspora, queerness, and her millennial love for pop culture. Her debut novel, Arsenic and Adobo, is out right now, and the sequel, Homicide in Hollow Hollow, is coming out in just week, February 8, 2022. We are so excited to welcome you to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're excited to have you here. So so beyond just um, that amazing bio that Hope just read, um, what else should our listeners kind of know about you or your work to frame this discussion? Um, well, I guess, you know, it's something that maybe doesn't seem important, but will kind of feed into the discussion. So it says I was born and raised in Chicago. I, w- I grew up in a neighborhood known as Hermosa, which is um, uh, majority Latina, um, Latino, uh, so like, like 80%. So I didn't grow up with a Filipino community, which kind of informs me and in, in the work and I do and how I think about my own identity. Mm. Um, I also, for almost about a decade, was an English language instructor. I spent about three and a half years teaching English in South Korea before returning to Chicago and teach at a downtown um, at a downtown school, which sadly closed at the beginning of the pandemic. So if you want to talk about uh, how oh the pandemic gosh. has affected <laughs> writers, uh, I found out I was getting laid off the same day oh my I got God. my very first publishing contract. It was a very, it was, it was, it was, it was a wild Tuesday that day. Uh, Just an emotional <laughs> roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, these seem trivial, but really they do feed into like how I've been handling my writing and how I think of myself as a writer and, and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so curious then. So as you think about your pivot into writing, what would you say are a couple of the foundational moments for you as a writer? Um, yeah, curious. Oh, actually, that 
also so another thing that I do is <laughs> yeah. I mentor and book coach. So yeah. you mentioned foundational things is I'm a big believer in giving back because so, you know, not to take away from my own hard work and talent or whatever, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I've made it to where I am because I have met so many kind and generous people along the way who have like believed in me and kind of pushed me along the way. Um, the two people that I always shout out whenever I do a talk like this uh, are the two authors, Lori Rader Day mm-hmm. um, and Kelly Garrett, uh, K-E-L-L-Y-E. Um, I say that because there's actually there's actually two misty writers named Kelly Garrett and they, they get, you know, one is white, one is black. And uh, like my mentor is black. You know, so I'm like, yeah. So like I'm always just like, no, 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 no. Uh, with an E at the end, because, <laughs> you know, right, right, I, right. I, I, yeah, I've, I've been misquoted in articles before. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, um, right, right, right. So um, Lori Rader Day was my very first creative writing teacher. Um I took a one-day mystery writing class with her. I didn't even know I was going to write mystery. It was the only affordable creative writing class I could find in my area. Um, but but I loved reading mystery. It was one of my favorite yeah. genres. It just seemed really hard to write. You yes. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, I enjoy the puzzle. I enjoy being, you know, the experience of being a reader. There's no way I could do this myself. It's mm-hmm. way too hard. But I really wanted to write and it was the only one I could afford in my ear like okay whatever like the price is right I I love the genre why don't I why don't I give it a shot and like and what I came up with in that class like she read it and she was like you said this was your first time I was like yeah she's like I think you're a mystery writer um Mm. and like it, it wasn't just like that one moment she was like you know, this, this was like back in 2015. She was like, hey, I'm the uh, the president of the Mystery Writers of America Midwest. At the time she was. She, she's gone mm-hmm. on to do other things too. Um, and she was like, um, the membership costs money, but the meetings are free. So if you would like to come to our meetings, uh, learn the craft, meet other writers, I really think you have what it takes. I really think mm-hmm. you should do this. And, you know, and, and it wasn't just that. Like I, w- I went to the meeting and I was like, I really felt like I didn't belong. <laughs> Um, I was much younger than everyone at the time. Mm -hmm. I was one of like two people of color, maybe at that Mm -hmm. meeting, you know, everyone Mm -hmm. seemed to know each other. Um, but she went out of her way. Like she was like, she remembered it. She remembered who was, she was like, Oh Mia, I'm so glad you came. She took me in. She introduced me to various groups. Like she really went out of her way to make me feel welcome. Mm -hmm. Um, she would even like forward me, um, like opportunities for unpublished writers. Cause you know, you know, I didn't have anything. And one of those opportunities was a grant from a um, a, a traditional mystery conference known as uh, Malice Domestic. They offer like a two thousand uh, dollar, or at the time I think maybe it was like fifteen hundred uh, dollar grants to an unpublished writer who, who who is working in traditional mystery, which which I was at the, uh, and still am. Um, I was like, all right, it's it's. She's like, it's free to apply. Just give it a shot. I you know I've read your early pages; they're good. So I did. Forgot about it. Um, and then I won. Um, (laughs) and so I won this grant, which they, you know, they, they do big to do about it. Like they have, you know, like at the conference, they give an award ceremony, not just for the grant for other things too, but like I was allowed to give a speech and I, this is really long winded, but again, I'm getting to a point. So (laughs) I gave the speech and in my speech, I talked about like, you know, I've read mystery since I was a child. It's my mom's favorite genre. She's the Mm -hmm. one who got me into it but I've never seen people that look like me on the page. You know, this genre that, lo- that I love so much, mm-hmm. I never saw myself in it. And so that's why I write what I write. You know, I said that in mm-hmm. my speech. And um, 
Kelly Garrett, who I mentioned earlier, was in attendance there because her uh, debut novel at the time was coming out. And she came up to me and she was like, hey, you know, I really like what you had to say. And your story sounds so interesting. Um, I am part of an organization called Pitch Wars, which is a mentorship program. And she was like, you know, when you finish, because um, you didn't have to be finished to apply to this. She's like, when you when you finish the manuscript, I really would like you to apply because I, you know, I uh, I think this would be a good opportunity for you. And so, like, that gave me like the impetus I needed to finally finish this manuscript I've been working on for like two two and a half years, and just never really got around to finishing. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished. I applied. I was accepted. She became my mentor. And we've been friends. And this is like back in 2017. And so we've been like really good friends to this day. Uh, Kelly Garrett is also one of the co-founders of Crime Writers of Color. Uh, Kelly Garrett, Gigi Pondian, and Walter Mosley uh, started this. Or- it's, it's, it's an informal organization. Like there's no dues and things like that. It's yeah. just like a gathering of fellow crime writers of color for us to kind of like right. celebrate. And, you know, so if there are any listeners out there who are interested, it's free to join crimewritersofcolor.com. Check out our website. Wait, let me double check. I love that. I've, I have so many questions about parts of your journey. Um, I know. One of my <laughs> questions, and I'm sure Megan, I saw you writing stuff down, so I'm sure yeah, you yeah. got <laughs> One of my questions is you mentioned um, growing up to love mystery because of your mom. Mm-hmm. What other things drew you to that genre? Like, how did you know you wanted to write mystery? I love the puzzle aspect. Um, so like, you know, from like, like starting really young, like Encyclopedia Brown was one of my favorite. Oh my gosh. Sorry. I love <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like, you start with those really little, th- you know, like my mom loved Nancy Drew. So like, you know, mm-hmm. Encyclopedia Brown, Nancy Drew, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a kid of the nineties. So like, you know, like boxcar children when babysitters <laughs> club Where had like parents the whole time, <laughs> <laughs> like the babysitters club had like a mystery spinoff <laughs> series. And I was like, yes, yes. yes! <laughs> I loved yeah. it. You know? And then like my my parents have like they've never really been um, those like, oh, you can't read this or you can't read that. like if it was in the house, like it was fair game, basically. Yes. Um, you know, and my mom, I was probably like when I was maybe around 10, my mom started working at like Walden Books back when those existed. Um, oh, wow. And so she would bring home, you know, lots of different kinds of things. And, you know, we got really into like Mary Higgins Clark when I was 10 years old. And we would kind of like she would finish the book and hand it to me and be like, oh, here, you know, I think you would really like this. And, you know, and then. So that, like, that's kind of how it all started. That's how I found out about Cozy Mystery, which is the particular subgenre I write in. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, she's a page at the library, and which is the person who shelves the books. Um, and she, she was shelving books one day, and she was just like, huh, chocolate chip cookie murder. I wonder what that's about. You know, because like we both love to eat, and we both love murder <laughs> mysteries. Yes. So she was just like, oh, there's a book that does both. So like she read it, and then she was like, we should read these. And so like I started like, kind of buddy reading them to have something to talk about with my mom and like that's kind of what led us here so that actually leads me into one of the favorite like my favorite things in preparation for this episode I was reading one of your interviews and you talked about like this subgenre the cozy mysteries um as like Hallmark movies with dead bodies in them. Yeah. <laughs> Which like I laughed out loud and like instantly fell in love with that description. So can you maybe give a little bit more explanation for our listeners, maybe people that have never heard of the cozy mystery genre, um, kind of more in depth, like what your work is, what that mm-hmm. genre means. Um, 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Like, so, I mean, like, there is some debate about what, like, like, is Agatha Christie technically a cozy? And, you know, like, and like, like, does this person count? I mean, the, the, I would say like the rules, I'm, I'm doing quotation marks, people, because this is not visual, but like the rules <laughs> that most people agree on is like for a, it to be a cozy mystery, there is no graphic sex, violence, or, or bad language, shall we say, on the page. Um, mm-hmm. those are the things that basically all of them can kind of promise you like, yes, there, there'll be like a murder and like, maybe you'll like, maybe you'll even see like the, the, the protagonist will like see the dead body, but there won't be like in-depth description there. It's, it's right. nothing, you know, you're never going to, you know, pick up a cozy mystery and be like, oh no, serial child murder. Like there's nothing like that. You know, yeah. it's their light. They're often, they don't have to be, but they're often humorous, which is why I went with like the, the like the rom-coms with dead body, you know, or yeah, Hallmark yeah. movie, you know. As you're describing this, I, I just finished reading um, Arsenic and Double last week or two weeks ago. And uh, it's, per- you nailed it. Like you're, yeah, <laughs> like, yep, check, check. She got that. That was, that was her too. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's like, I had never, um, I had never heard of the subgenre, honestly, mm-hmm. until you. And now I'm like, Oh, absolutely. This is what I want to (laughs) read on vacation because Mm -hmm. it's like, it is the perfect, like comfort read. Mm -hmm. It has. And so like, I was like, how have I never heard of this subgenre before? Mm -hmm. Because it is, it just like encompasses all the things that I've loved. I love about murder mystery and Mm. just yeah like the coziness of a book when you just kind of want to curl up or relax by the pool Mm -hmm. um yeah like the power of like a cozy mystery is that like you still get like the puzzle aspect right you still get like the the sleuthing and the figuring out but you also get the comfort because again they're called cozy for a reason you get the comfort of knowing that there's gonna be a happy ending and that justice will be done in some way you know what what, you know some people Mm -hmm. have different ideas of justice which I kind of play with um, at the end of Arsenic yeah. I don't want to like spoil things for listener, but there is kind of a question there at the end um, about what justice means, but it is served. And so you can walk away knowing that people are going to pay for, for the things that they've done, um, which you don't always get in real life. So you're, mm-hmm. you're just like, oh yeah, there was murder, but I'm feeling really good at the end of yeah, this. Yeah, like escapism. I think yeah. is like a really good way to describe mm-hmm. the Great work. entertainment, yeah. Well, and I found that with your book, there's just the right amount of predictability with also some intrigue and still puzzle and still some surprising twists. Um, One of the things I was really struck struck by was how you incorporated food and like the level of detail of your food writing. I felt like I was reading like a professional (laughs) food blogger, but like in a mystery, like wrapped in. Is there, I mean, is there something to that? Like uh, you mentioned that you grew up um, loving food and mysteries, obviously with your mom as well. Yeah, so... Thank you for compliment because like I really hate writing descriptions. Like I think they're so hard. So whenever someone says like, "Oh, I really loved your food description. Yeah. They made me so hungry," I'm like, "Oh, thank you," because <laughs> like there's like, like a lot of effort. Like, you know, it's 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 you know when I read food criticism now, I'm like, "Oh wow, I have a lot of respect." Because you know how hard it is to not just say like, "Oh, it was delicious," like a million yeah. times. Like there's so many. There's yeah. only so many ways to describe mm-hmm. things like that. So oh, you know, it makes me appreciate that. But no, like you know, a, a common question I guess like, did I grow up like in the restaurant industry or? anything and no I didn't but like my father was an excellent cook um so like a lot of the idea you know like like a big thing in my books is like how food means many different things to many different people um so like the the Rosie character for her food is her love language Mm -hmm. um and you know my Mm -hmm. dad was very similar you know like that Mm -hmm. um 
you know, like he, he was very typical, you know, like, um, like just kind of like a stoic older generation, you know, Filipino man, like mm-hmm. he didn't like say, I love you, <laughs> you know, all that, you know, uh, there, there weren't like hugs or kisses or any of that kind of affection. Um, but he worked really, really long, hard hours during the week. Uh, and on the weekend, he would prepare these like amazing feasts for our big, because I grew up in a, a big, like multi-generational family. So we grew up with like my, mm-hmm. my maternal grandparents, my parents, me, my brothers, my two cousins, sometimes an aunt, like it was kind of like a way station. Like, so, you know, um, there, yeah. there's quite a few of us <laughs> in that house. And so, you know, on the weekend, him and my grandmother would wake up at like dawn to go to like the fish markets and to get like the freshest produce and things like that. And then they would cook all day for our, like, you know, our house of like nine, 10 people where the vast majority of them are like young boys with, you know, with with these, you know, massive appetites. Um, Because a lot of people like, oh, you eat really fast. I was like, yeah, I was the only girl in a house of boys. If I don't eat now, I'm not going to (laughs) eat. Of course, you know, so. 100%. So like from him, I get, you know, like I, I, you know, the idea of like always having like more than enough. Cause it's like, you, you want to make sure everyone has enough to eat. You want to yeah. make sure people feel like fed and nourished and cared for. So like mm-hmm. service as love, same thing, you know, my, the, the Lola floor mm-hmm. character is, is loosely based, loosely yes. based on yeah. my uh, maternal grandmother who, my mom's mom, who I grew up with. Right. She yeah. was not like, she was like a very critical woman. Um, and yeah. it wasn't until I was much older. It's like, Oh, she, you know, she loved us. She really did. She loved us the way she could. And she yep. showed it by, the the things she did for us like this uh you know the 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 food she prepared for us the way she cleaned the house the way she uh you know didn't say things that sounded kind but were like really you know you know like if you like if you're going out without a hat she was like oh you know you know she would like sound like really really angry and upset with you and you're like oh why is she so mean she's like she doesn't want you to get sick put on your head you know it's it's one of those kinds of things um And so, yeah, so just food as love, food as home, because as I mentioned before, I didn't grow up in a large Filipino community. For me, the Filipino community is my family. That's what I knew growing up. That's my connection to the culture. And, you know, what like we never like we would go out to restaurants, but we never ate Filipino food out because like my dad could do it better. Why would we waste money (laughs) at a restaurant (laughs) if daddy could cook it so much better? So for me, Filipino food is home. It's my father's food. Yeah. Uh, so there was just so many things like wrapped up in it when I write that, that I'm, that I'm trying mm-hmm. to get across. I, well, I, 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 oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry I was, I just wanted to like yeah. you, I, as an appreciation, um, because you talking about your dad, you might as well be talking about my dad. Um, mm. and, and just, you don't often see that kind that like love manifested in that way in Mm -hmm. in work um and so I think that that resonated with me right like food is a love language and and I don't think that I like recognized that until I was an adult about my dad right Mm -hmm. like the the layers and implications and uh, of that Mm -hmm. um but yeah like all of that resonates so I I'm Japanese and um when it's not represented on the pay or like in public and in works, you question like, is there something wrong with this? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. is there something wrong with the way that my family demonstrates and shows love because it's nothing that like I ever saw growing up. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I, the importance of that work, I just wanted to say that like 
feeling seen, your family, like being seen Mm -hmm. in work matters. And I think like, also that's why I'm drawn (laughs) to Mm -hmm. your work. It was like, it felt, yeah, it felt like home. It felt like I could relate to the characters in the book in a way that like, I don't think I could even articulate until hearing you as the author, like explain the -hmm. backstory of it. So, Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to like put that out there as, an <laughs> as like a fan. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. Like it just, it, it, um, that comes off of the page, right? Like that, mm-hmm. it absolutely came off of the page and it matters, um, mm-hmm. in a way that I don't even think like I realized until, like, mm-hmm. until you get it right. Like mm-hmm. the importance of having different types of family dynamics and like love demonstrated. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. I really appreciate um, also the way that the the book like integrates cross-cultural communications. So you have Mm -hmm. like a lot of different families, Mm -hmm. different types of families, different ethnic cultural backgrounds in the same book. And just the way they're all showing like back to the point about love, all the way everyone is interacting with each other. One, the communication is great, but also could be really funny. But then also like the expectations from family that are overlapped and yet how they're unique and different in each family. Um, mm-hmm. And also the way that folks show love and care, um, even like the detectives showing care, mm-hmm. which again, I'm not going to give anything away, but you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, some of that. So I, I thought that was a really interesting character development and the choice on your end um, in terms of how you wanted to represent that. Um, yeah, I, that's just something I think about. Yeah. So um, in your, we're kind of like circling around it, like in your mm-hmm. interviews, you've indicated that like your commitment to representation like in mm-hmm. your work or your passion around representation. So how do you think you're helping to kind of shape those conversations around representation in literature? So I am a, a big, you know, one of the things that we, you know, try all the time is, and because it, it's true, like I can't say enough, it's like, you know, no culture is a monolith, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, one thing I always want to, you know, be clear about this is like, this is, you know, yes, the Filipino American character but it's someone that I'm writing from my own experiences and my own um identity right like this character is not me but it's still filtered through my worldview right and so you know it I don't you know it's not indicative of all Filipinos or all Filipino Americans or even all Filipino Americans from Chicago because that's impossible Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but I also did want to show that there yeah you know that there are some like um the general things that we do share as Filipino Americans that I would love to see out there more. Um, and also when it comes to representation, it's, it's not just like, um, like, Oh, cool. I see myself, in, but like, what kind of stories yeah. are people picking up or are publishers decide are worthy to be published? Um, you know, we've, you've probably heard this mm-hmm. a bunch because people talk about it all the time, but a lot of times when you are from a historically underrepresented, you know, excluded background, the stories that tend to get the most attention or money or traction are the trauma stories, the stories yeah. that mine our pain, the ones, yeah. you know, like, you know, I... I'm queer, but you know, like it would be like, oh, is is it a coming out story? No. Why does it always have to be a coming out? You know, like, is it, Mm -hmm. you know, um, trying to you know come to grips with your sexuality or you know like the pain of that? Like, no, it's just (laughs) like someone who just happens to you know, um, not Lila, but like other other you know characters I've written. Um, you know, like she's Filipino. Oh, is it like the immigrant story and how tough it is? Like, no, not it's like you know it's she's she was born and raised there. No, it's so no, you know, and um. And, you know, many of my other friends have that that same issue where they're like, oh, when they find out a character is like X background, 
you know, it's expected to be about that as if their mm-hmm. identity is a plot line yeah. right. um, where, you know, and then you're like, I'm not trashing any of those. Those are like, they tend to be very beautifully written, really important work that gets us thinking about things. Mm-hmm. But like the problem with that is just like, but then that's the only side that people see of us is our mm-hmm. drama and our pain. And they expect us yeah. to bleed on the page for them every single yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. What if I just want to see people like me falling in love yeah. or solving a mystery or going on a grand adventure or, you know, just everyday, you know, human experiences. So like, that's what representation means to me that we get to see ourselves in like a broad spectrum. Absolutely. Um, Mm-hmm. And I think there is great, as we were talking earlier, I think there's great value in entertainment, especially mm-hmm. now when things are so mm-hmm. tough and people yeah. need to escape. They need to laugh. They need to, you know, I don't know, happy cry, they, things like that. And, you know, some, you know, some people are like, oh, you're not like the feeling of like, oh, like the work I'm doing is not like important literature. You know what I mean? Like capital L <laughs> literature. And it's just like, I don't know, it doesn't have to be. Like, did yeah. I provide you with a few <laughs> hours of like fun and escape? Then, yeah. you know, that's that's all I could add. That's what books Absolutely. were for me. Mm-hmm. If I can do for someone else what books have done for yeah. me my whole life, then like mission accomplished, super happy. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think we want to dive into kind of this aspect of uh, it, but this feels like a really great place to take a break. Um, and then when we, back, when we come back, we'll kind of continue this conversation. Hello, friends. This is Marguerite Martin, creator of MovedToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Well, listeners, as we come back, I just want to remind you, don't forget to subscribe to channel 253. It is awesome. And you are missing out by not being a subscribing member. So remember, so please don't forget to click the link in our show notes and head on over to sign up for that membership. And for all of you that are already subscribed, thank you so much for supporting the podcast and the network. So um, now that you've like gone, you pause the episode, you've gone, you've subscribed to channel 253 and you're back. Um, We are here with Mia and talking about her work. Before the break, we were talking about kind of your view of representation Mm -hmm. um, and what that means to you in literature. And something that I was thinking about when you were talking um, and um, 
talking about representation is Hope and I have had the pleasure of talking to several authors of color before on the podcast and something that really resonates with res has resonated with me in all the conversations that's come up is like the authenticity of the intersectionality and the three-dimensionality of characters of color in Mm -hmm. the work um I feel like the statement that you said of I like the character isn't is a statement like they're not like representative of necessarily like the immigrant struggle or necessarily the struggle of people of color right like that they're just Mm -hmm. they are just people that are living life Mm -hmm. um and you kind of like in the bio we mentioned your commitment to like explore aspects of the Filipino diaspora and like queerness and your millennial love of pop culture and all of these different things did you enter the space um, of writing, like mm-hmm. always with like the intention of your work to be this? Did you kind of tackle it? Like, was this always an intention or was this something that's grown over time or as you were writing your debut novel, was that something that kind of naturally occurred? So one of the really interesting things as I've become a writer is like when I talk to other like writers of color, a lot of them um would say things like oh you know when I first started writing I would write white characters because I thought only white characters were in literature and like Mm. that blew my mind because for me I never didn't want I like just double negatives (laughs) like I have always wanted that's better um (laughs) to write Filipino characters um but I think that's specifically because I saw the lack of them and I also wanted to learn more about myself. As I said, I didn't grow up, you know, what I knew was like my family and my family's friends. I think these parties that we would occasionally go to, like my parents' friends. Um, So, you know, like I would look, I would, I would want to know, I was like never like ashamed of it. I was never, um, or anything like that. I always just wanted to know more. And right. so, you know, I would go to the shelves and I would read, you know, it's like, oh, these nonfiction books about the Philippines. Like, okay, that's the, okay. Yes. But like, that's not really what I'm looking for here. I always wanted to see my, myself on the page. Right. Uh, right. Not necessarily like the Filipino experience. Like I wasn't that grand when I was, you know, I was just like me, I want to see me. Yeah. Um, so I wanted, so like, that's what I thought with writing. Um, and so like Arsenic and Adobo is my debut novel, but it's not the first one I finished. Like I mentioned, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, writing class I took. Mm, right. So I had one other book before this that I'd completed. Um, it it's it's the one that won me the grant. It's the one that got me that mentorship. It got me my very first agent, but it never sold. Mm. Um, and it was about like a queer Filipino American millennial solving a murder mystery at a comic book convention. And that sounds. Awesome. <laughs> I know, <laughs> and at the, that and that's such a good premise. And at the time, they, you know, the, a, the, a common piece of feedback was that the, the voice is great and this is a lot of fun, but we don't know how to sell it. Hmm. Um, this was back in like 2017, 2018, as I said. Um, and they, hmm. according to public, like the, the sales teams basically were saying I had no audience. Yeah. Um, because again, I write in the traditional mystery space, which is mostly like amateur. And then they, in, in, in their words, one editor actually forwarded feedback to my, to my then agent that said, traditional mystery readers are older white women. Um, we don't know who this book is for. Um, and so I was just like, 
I mean, a lot of people, like if you expand all it, the like there's uh, yeah. the kids trying to read somebody that's not yeah. old white. Maybe. Yeah. Well, early, well, so one thing that's fascinating. So when Megan said like, I've never heard of a cozy mystery before, a lot of people who have picked up my book have told me this is the first time I've ever heard of this. Why have yeah. I never heard? And I'm like, because publishers keep assuming yeah. that only older white women are the ones who read this. So they only market to them. They only acquire books that, that, that fit that mind view, you know, that, that point of view. Absolutely. Whereas like, you know, you would have younger writers, more uh, readers, more diverse yeah. readers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. realize that, you know, there are other people out there who want similar but different things, right? Like, as you said, like my book, it doesn't break the mold. In fact, I leaned into Mm -hmm. the tropes of the genre Mm -hmm. to show how like, hey, you know, I belong in this space and Mm -hmm. here's how I can twist them and make them fun and fresh, right? There's nothing like, quote unquote new if if you pick up my book like you said you pick up on all like I hit all the beats that you are so, yes. you know, yeah. so opposed to yeah, yeah absolutely but I made it my own right there's no yeah. reason that my book shouldn't fit in and other readers wouldn't want this mm-hmm. well I'm thinking about so I'm a high school English teacher and I'm thinking about all the young people that this is this is exactly what yeah. not only what their parents would be fine with them reading, but like they're looking for that, right? They're not mm-hmm. trying to read Dexter on a page, right? They're not trying to read what's the vampire series, like Blood and Guts. They're not trying to read, obviously those are different genres, but like they're not trying to read, um, they want this experience, right? They want to mm-hmm. see, learn something new about the world. They want to have the comfort of the of a mystery. Um, and they're just looking mm-hmm. for some good entertainment mixed in with all of that. And I just mm-hmm. think about so many readers that I know. <laughs> and like, like especially missing. young readers. I, yes. I think middle so, and high school, man. And that's middle and high school. I think that but I loved it as an adult too. So I, yes. <laughs> I know, right. But I everybody. think of there's like a perfect space in a in a school library for your mm-hmm. work. And I think that um We've had the school that I teach at, our librarian is amazing and the like the conversations around decolonizing bookshelves. And mm-hmm. um it just it blows my mind that they're that publishers and um marketing teams are still having that conversation mm-hmm. when I think the world is having mm-hmm. the conversations of like, no, they're like they're ready for mm-hmm. this work. They're mm-hmm. like there is a much broader audience that is ready for this work, that's ready to see themselves on the pages, not in a glaring, Mm -hmm. um, like cookie cutter story, but just living life in all of the spaces Mm -hmm. that white people or white characters have been allowed or permitted to take up space in, Mm -hmm. like seeing themselves in those spaces I, I, I don't know. I just, all of the evidence I have as a high school teacher is that high school students are ready for this. Like they are ready for this type of work. And the fact that those teams are not seeing that blows my mind. <laughs> are you, when you're thinking about your ideal reader, who are you, who are you imagining or what are you picturing? Do you have an ideal? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's one of the things like in my book coaching, I teach, you know, like how, like how to kind of envision that. And so, yeah. you know, cause like y- your audience is not everyone, right. Not everyone's going to like my book and that's fine. Cause yeah. I don't like every book. That's fair. Yep. Um, but basically I figure, you know, like millennial women of color who love like family drama and food. Mm-hmm. 
and, you know, enjoy being able to put together like a, like a puzzle as you go along as well. Because for me, like the mystery is the driving force, right? Like you can't take away the mystery. It's a completely different book. But at the same time, it's almost like underlying it's, it's it's like the relationships that 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 drive everything mm-hmm. right because you know because I think that's a power of amateur sleuth right you know because mm-hmm. I mean yes there's that suspension of disbelief that this 25 year old cookie baker is solving murders right like that's that's part of the fun right you you yeah. you ignore that to, to fully immerse yourself I'm, I'm really good at this mm-hmm. yeah right um but it's like, you know, you ask yourself, how would a 25-year-old cookie baker solve it? Oh, well, you know what? Her yeah. aunties, you know, the calendar crew, her gossipy aunties, they know everything about anyone. She could go <laughs> to them for the high, you know, gets yeah. an idea like, ooh, really? That person was also like targeted by, you know, the the victim? Ooh, let me check them out, you know? And then, mm-hmm. so it's 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 playing with those those kind of things you know, um, that, that's, that's part of the fun. It's the character relationships and how she builds them and uses those to solve the mystery. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, she's not a Sherlock Holmes, like, ah, oh, yes, I found that hair in their bedroom. Like, the, like, savant, no. yeah. like yeah. the mystery savant yeah. of yeah. like, that like, ha- like has a freeze frame and all the math mm-hmm. and like algorithms mm-hmm. are flying behind his eyes. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's like a regular person using what connections they have to kind of figure out what's going on to save themselves and the people they care about. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's the fun of the cozy mm-hmm. mystery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, um, cause you, cause you were kind of alluding to some other writers earlier or mm-hmm. some people that have influenced you or some of your contemporaries. When you think of some writers who are also putting out good work in this genre, or even going back to um, your, your talk about the crime writers of color collective. Mm-hmm. Um, so even thinking about that, is there any, is there a book that comes to mind or a couple books you're like, this fits right in here. Listeners should go check these out. Yeah. I mean, so the good thing is like, you know, publishing is slow to change, but at at, at the very, it is changing, right? I can say that. Um, So if we're talking, you know, you know, like read-alikes for books like mine, like Culinary Cozies, Mm. um, one that came before me is the, is Vivian Chan's Noodle Shop Mysteries, um, biracial Taiwanese American uh, whose family runs like a noodle shop, you know, based (laughs) on the series title. Those are a lot of fun um, someone who debuted with me the same year last year, uh, Ra- Raquel V. Reyes. Um, the her debut was Mango Mambo and Murder. It centers around Caribbean food, takes place in the like the Miami area. Um, the protagonist has like the coolest job ever. She was a food anthropologist. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, I was I was an anthropology minor and I love food, so I was like, oh my god, that's a thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. So so being able to read that, I was like, oh, this is fascinating because because the character has that background, you know, th- th- uh, those books kind of tackle food in different ways, right? It's mm-hmm. not just like me, uh, yeah. you know, an everyday person who appreciates it and just makes it, she, you know you kind of get like the, the, the history as well. Cause like, you know, mm-hmm. it's food, mm-hmm. food is culture, it's political, there's history mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah. So I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is an interesting take, you know? Yeah. Which those are always my favorite like food shows. Um, yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. Who has a ton of them, like, right. Where it's like, you learn the history because I'm a historian. I teach history. I'm a nerd <laughs> um, also almost was an anthropology minor in college. Like the history of it, the idea of being able to read a cozy, <clears throat> excuse me, a cozy mystery that like uses that aspect. Like mm-hmm. I'm all about that. Um, <clears throat> something that I like, I'm 
thinking about um, from this conversation and from your story was um, I've been really reflecting on the word belonging Mm. um, lately, the Mm. last several weeks in my work. um, And that's, I, I kept hearing belonging when you were talking about your two kind of mentors and mm-hmm. how they created belonging for you. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of the success story of people intentionally creating belonging for somebody who maybe historically hasn't taken up space in this genre. Mm-hmm. Um, but the success that can come from doing that, right? Like reaching mm-hmm. out and creating space for, for people, creating space for diversity, um, outside of, um, people in the literary world, mm-hmm. how else can other allies? So I'm thinking of our listeners, mm-hmm. how else can people that want to see publishing change, how can they support the work of people, authors like you, right? Like mm-hmm. that are kind of trying to change the game or trying to kind of infiltrate. What are things that, mm-hmm. What are things that allies or advocates can do mm-hmm. to support that work? I mean, you know, other than the obvious, which is like buy our books, because, you know, because like it's the sad thing of where like writing is an art, but publishing is a business. Hmm. And publishers, speaking generally, but like kind of historically proven, like they'll look at numbers. And yeah. so like in the wow. past, they'll do things are like, oh, we published a book by X background and it didn't sell. So that means people don't want books about X background. Um, right. A huge amount of pressure was on me with this series um, because I mean, with, you know, with any, with any author, like debut author, there's always pressure, but this one in particular, because my uh, publisher kind of start like they might uh, I'm with a publisher called Berkeley which is part of Penguin Random House and so they they realized they wanted to bring in a more diverse readership for cozy so like they started basically what they're calling like their cozy millennial line oh um, nice. Yeah, yeah you know like like they're not advertising it as it but you can kind of tell because like you know uh like the so like traditionally cozies are like the mass market paperback short, like the really small you'll find mm-hmm. them like you know like you can kind of like tuck them in your pocket those ones but mm-hmm. they're if they wanted to attract a different audience so mine are trade paperback they're a little bit bigger the illustrations are really bold yeah. to appeal yes. to their audience um and anytime you start something new and particularly when you know um there are filipino americans in his like in the, or filipino like mystery writers but like not really in the cozy space that i know of, and particularly not with a big five publisher mm-hmm. um and they the advance wasn't big but cozies are like not you know like if you want like a big sexy advance you write suspense or thriller cozies are like the literally like the unsexiest mystery genre <laughs> so like and the advances reflect that um but like they gave me for a debut cozy author like respectable like they're like okay we we believe in this and we think maybe you you know have something so like I didn't want to be the example they pointed at Mm -hmm. to say oh look you said you wanted this thing we tried this thing and nobody bought this you know so like that that pressure was on um we've proved to them hey people want this thing if you market it correctly but one of the most common things is like people can't buy or talk about what they don't know Right. So, you know, and not every publisher, sadly, is going to market each book fairly. Right. Mine got really great marketing. I got very lucky, but not, you know, especially if you're with a small publisher with a very limited budget, um, you know, they don't they don't get that kind of push. So, you know, t- 
talking about books that you love, like word of mouth can be surprisingly important. Um, you know, yeah, go on social media, rate things, uh, be like, hey, publisher, are there going to be more books in X series? I really loved it. You know, um, requesting it from libraries, you know, like, yeah. you know, we mm-hmm. have we all have limited budgets, right? Books, <laughs> you know, you can't buy every single book you want. Um, but requesting that your library um, acquire it is yeah. a huge help. Uh, requesting that your library or, or local bookstores like maybe set up an event where, where the author can get like exposure and payment and things like that. Just letting people know these books exist. Because like the really, and I remember that there was a panel um, recently and it was, it, was, it was all older white readers, um, mystery readers, because it was specifically like a mystery conference thing. Um, and, and there was... Um, an indigenous woman writer in the audience with me, and she asked, like, how can we get our books in front of like how can we, you know, people yeah. spread the word about our books? Cause you know, they're they're not and then like all the, the entire panel was just like, well, you know, it just if you write a good book, people will find it. Like, no, that is not true. Because what you are <laughs> implying is that we have not written good books in the past. And the reason people don't know our books exist is because our books are of lower quality, which is not true. We've always been there. It's just, we don't always get the push. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, if you've read a book that you loved, you know, don't just be like, Oh, this was really great. Cool. And then set it down and not like tell the author, put it on social media, tell your friends, because sometimes that's the only marketing some of us get. Um, you know, so, well, yeah. many people are with small publishers and that's, they need all the, the, the buzz mm-hmm. that possible. Yep. Yeah. Uh, that kind of feels like a good segue into what are you working on right now that you could tell our listeners about, um, or get them excited about? So, oh, um, Homicide and Hello, Hello, which is book two. Yeah. It comes out like as of this recording, uh, it comes out, uh, February 8th. So very, very soon. Um, book three in the series, Blackmail and Bibinka, uh, also comes out. This <laughs> is that year. the title? I <laughs> love your titles so much. Sorry, sorry. I, I grew up on <laughs> Filipino great food things in the Philippines, and I just, it just it, yeah. One of the great the, things like, about the series is it's so much. So, like a lot of my friends are like, "Oh, titles are so hard," and I agree with them. But for this series, <laughs> they are one of the most fun things. Yes, because you know, like they have to follow a pattern, so it's always like alliterative crime word with Perfect. Filipino food so like on Instagram you know I was the, before I revealed the cover for book three I was like let me have a little fun can you guess the title of book three based on what you know of how I've titled my other books and like three people actually managed to guess it and like seeing oh. everyone and seeing everyone else's guesses was like a lot of fun I was just like you know I have like an entire file of of possible titles I'm like there's no way I'm going to write this many books <laughs> but just but just but just coming up with the titles is so much fun. Um, oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. So blackmail and babinka. Um babinka is like a rice cake that's traditionally eaten around Christmas time because book three takes place around Christmas. Um and it comes out October. As of now, who knows it might shift, but as of now, it's scheduled to come out October 4th. The day after my birthday. Perfect. Ooh. Perfect birthday. Mm. Perfect I'll, birthday yeah. present for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was just gonna say I can get the pre-order and then it could just yeah. show up at your house. Yeah, when it comes out. And then, oh, and then, so, um, sorry, I just remembered. So earlier, just remembered, like, as if, like, it should be in my mind, but it's still so (laughs) wild to me. Um, 
the my publisher bought the next three because I originally had a three book contract. So Blackmail and Babinka would have been the end. Yeah. But they recently renewed my contract for another three books. So there's going to be at least six books in the series and book four comes out sometime uh, next year. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait. This Congratulations. Be- I'm like, you. where is this going to yeah. go? Sorry. <laughs> like the character evolution. Um, <laughs> English teacher, of course. Yes. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we always end our episode with uh, one final segment. Mm-hmm. Megan. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. Right, ladies. So obviously my homework to listeners is to go pick up um, some of Mia's books, pre-order, et cetera, get them from your library. Um, there's fantastic audiobook versions as well, which I've really enjoyed. Um, Megan, do you have any homework? Well, to piggyback on that, to go read the work, but then also post about it, share it, advertise it, tell your friends, um, if you love it, right? Like spread the word. And then also um, go find other small authors that are doing work that you support and advertise that as well. So I have a bunch of Filipino family in the Philippines and um, my sister's has two kids. And so I keep sending them like as many books as I can. I send them obviously um, a bunch of revised work as well, but uh, it's been fun because they're also, so they're Phil M, but they're passing on to their cousins who Mm -hmm. are not. And so we're having these conversations just about where, where's the overlap and experience, where is like millennialness and like younger Mm -hmm. generation overlap in conversations, but then also what is the difference between, you know, being born and raised in the Philippines versus growing Mm -hmm. up in the U.S. And it's just facilitated a lot of good conversations. And so I want, I just want to say thank you um, on that, in that sense too, from, from the personal side of it. So it's, it's been really fun. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, You know, if you wanted to, it's just like, that's, that's actually a conversation I had. So like, it's, it's in the author's note for Arsenic and Adobo, but like I had a Homeland Filipino sensitivity reader because I know the difference between Filipino diaspora and Homeland Filipino is so different. And I wanted to make sure that certain um, points of view were included, particularly because, you know, Lila's not an immigrant, but her aunt and grandmother and aunties are, and they're going to feel differently about certain things for, (laughs) you know, for reasons that are not just like, oh, you're old fashioned. Like there, there's, there's more nuance there that they mm-hmm. helped me put in. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a big conversation. Well, and I so appreciate that you just said that because I actually had a question about authenticity readers, but then I was like, that's a stupid question because of mm-hmm. the things I just assume you're reading for yourself, right? But like, thank mm-hmm. you for saying that. And just what does that mean mm-hmm. for yeah. writing from different points of view? So mm-hmm. perfect. Uh, so Mia, do you have any homework for our listeners? It could be anything that they should go do, think, research, check out more of. So I mentioned it like a million times, but yeah, check out our Crime Writers of Color website. So there's like a book section and it's actually, you know, you can go through all our members books, but it's also like you can look up by like racial or ethnic background. If you're like, wow, you know, I noticed there's a hole, you know, in my reading here and I really want to improve that. So, you know, so, again, you know, you know, black, indigenous, Asian, you know, Latina, Hispanic, like all different. You can find so many different kinds. There's intersectional as well, because some of us are also queer writers of color. So there's mm-hmm. many different things. And, and it's we represent the broad spectrum from like um, from self-published to small publisher to big five publisher, like we run the gamut. So you can find just about anything for anyone. Um, it's also separated by subgenre, right? If you're cool. not like, you know, so you can be like, I want a hard boiled PI. You can find a list of books. You're like I want light and fluffy cozy. You can find those books and everything in between. Awesome. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule and your day. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks for inviting me and, and you having these important conversations. 
Channel 253 is supported by Microsoft. Microsoft is committed to civic conversations like those on Channel 253 that inform and empower Washington communities. To learn more, visit aka.ms slash Microsoft in Washington. Oh, everyone looks really great. And I'm literally sitting in my robe because like, uh, no, like my perfect. office is right next to the front windows and it is freezing in Chicago. The Interchangeable White Ladies podcast is part of the Channel 253 network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.